Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Friday the 13th edition of On Iowa Politics on our eerie podcast this week. We'll talk about the momentous first week of the Iowa legislature, the highs, the lows, all the big headlines, and the ostracized sons of summer camp cooks who are believed to have drowned. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me on this freaky Friday are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Jared, I can't tell you how I know this, but I heard you were born on a Friday the 13th. That's uh, that's actually correct, Aaron, and that means that uh, I'm uh, extra powerful on uh, such days. <laughs> Good to know. We'll keep that in mind. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is here. Hello, Todd. Good morning. All right, let's jump right into it. Uh, we just concluded the first week of the 2023 session of the Iowa Legislature. Four days down, 106 to go. Uh, I want to bring Todd in right away on this uh, for some history and context, because to me, uh, that felt like an unusually busy first week. I seem to remember past opening weeks being much slower paced. You get some fairly big news on opening day with the leadership speeches. You get your big news on Tuesday with the governor's condition of the state address. Uh, But other than that, the the opening week is usually pretty calm and, and quiet and that certainly wasn't the case this week. Uh, House Republicans rolled out their legislative priorities, um, and in some cases, we got some of the big bills moving already. Uh, Tom, Caleb, and I uh, were all swamped on both Wednesday and Thursday. I don't remember that being the case in past first weeks. So, so Todd, help me out here. Is, is my memory fuzzy, or am I right? And that was an unusually busy first week. Well, I tell you, back in my day, they spent the first week uh, filling the whale oil lamps and lighting them up. So things got off to a dark and slow start back then. That what started the fire? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not talk about what started the fire in 1904, if you, if you don't mind. Uh, Fifth, Fifth Amendment and all that. But yeah, it was unusual to see, you know, you know, action on significant legislation in in week one and and the governor's speech was chock full of things for Iowans to love and possibly to hate and uh you know it's also unusual to see a fiscally conservative republican controlled legislature move forward to create a, a hundreds of millions of dollars in an entitlement program the public school or the private school scholarship program, which basically, if you think about it, it is an entitlement program. I mean, they're giving state money to, to folks who want to send their kids to, public, to private schools. Uh, so yeah, it's it, probably more action than usual. And the speeches were maybe a little meatier than usual. And, uh, and of course, whenever you start the, start the year by basically pushing forward with issues that are pretty controversial, uh, you're going you're gonna to fill the capital with with uh, folks who oppose them, and, and you're going to fill the the pages of the papers of the state. <clears throat> yeah, and they certainly did that. I, I can attest to that. Um, <laughs> so so let's get in a little, dive in a little bit more into all of that of what uh, uh, Todd just talked about. Um, start with Tuesday night and Governor Kim Reynolds' annual condition of the state address. As I wrote in the On Iowa Politics newsletter, 
pause here to request that all podcast listeners subscribe to said newsletter. Uh, Reynolds' remarks opened with a little bit of a Festivus vibe. Uh, she had some airing of grievances. Um, and I tell you, it's, it's interesting as we record this Friday morning, um, Governor, as I look at the clock, Governor Reynolds is probably just now concluding her inaugural address. She's, uh, her inauguration was Friday morning. Um, and uh, the staff delivers the the copy of those remarks to state house reporters, and um, it was interesting to me in that the the inauguration address was much more um, I don't know if laid back is the right word, but um, much less politically um, um, targeted and motivated, and some people would say divisive. Um, much more kind of unifying speech for her inauguration than the condition of the state, which, uh, like I said, she came out with both barrels and, um, <clears throat> total uh, recall of, uh, an AP article from like three years ago. Yeah. 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 Uh, poor Ryan Foley was just, uh, going about his job, uh, the, the other day. And then all of a sudden he, he's, he was the star of the governor's condition of the state address. Um, but eventually she did get into some pretty significant policy proposals too. So, uh, Tom, uh, you, you wrote the story for us, on the condition of the state, uh, uh, what, what were some of the biggest highlights in, in those policy pitches that the governor made in her condition of the state address? So the governor used her sixth condition of the state address in larger Republican majorities in the Iowa legislature to double down on and expand her push for school choice legislation. You know, that was the big um, the, 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 the big news to come out. Uh, excuse me, the big news to come out of um, her condition of the state address. So um, she outlined a new plan to uh, devote more public tax dollars to subsidize private school tuition, stating that Iowa parents need more chase choices for their children's education. Under the proposal, roughly um, $7,600 in state funding, the amount that the state spends per pupil on K-12 education would be set aside for any student who attends a private school in Iowa in the form of an education savings account. And the money could be used for tuition, books, other classroom materials, fees, and other expenses. Um, the program would be phased in over three years, prioritizing kindergarten and low-income students in the first two years. And then in the third year, all private school students would be eligible for the savings accounts. Um, public schools would lose the per-pupil funding for any students who choose to attend a private school. However, the legislation also provides um, to each school district roughly um, $1,200 for every student who lives in the district but attends a private school. And that funding is devoted whether the private school student is a, a recent transfer or has always attended private school. And the average annual cost of uh, parochial, parochial school tuition in Iowa ranges roughly between $2,800 to about $6,000 for elementary schools and then about $6,000 to $9,000 for, for high school. Um, the governor's office estimated that about 14,000 students would be eligible for the program in the first year, costing the state roughly $107 million. Um, but by full implementation in the fourth year, uh, the state would spend about $341 million annually. Um, it's a significant expansion from what Reynolds proposed last year, um, which failed to gain support in the Iowa House. 
um, the governor's previous proposal allocated um, just a portion of the per pupil funding, um, about $5,400 for roughly 10,000 uh, available uh, scholarships um, to cover the cost of attending a, a private or chartered school. And that program was originally um, intended to be for low-income students only, um, but this proposal that the governor outlined on Tuesday um, has no income restrictions. Um, the governor also called on lawmakers to provide more funding for programs, she said, will help um, new parents. Um, she proposed harsher penalties for um, fentanyl-related crimes, and she wants to merge 37 cabinet-level state agencies into a total of 16 agencies. Um, Reynolds staff uh, said that um, a consultant identified up to $215 million in savings um, over four years, by, by doing that and also by, I believe, selling some farmland that the state owns. Um, the governor's office said that there would be no layoffs, but some vacant positions would be eliminated. Um, the governor also didn't propose any tax cuts uh, in her speech this year, even as um, top Republican lawmakers um, say that reducing property taxes is, is a main priority. Um, she also didn't outline plans for further efforts to restrict abortion in the state, um, but did call on lawmakers to add to the um, $500,000 that the um, Iowa legislature allocated last year uh, toward funding nonprofit organizations that encourage alternatives to abortion. Um, these, these organizations, these um, crisis pregnancy centers provide services such as pregnancy and adoption counseling for um, expecting in, in new parents. Um, and then uh, Reynolds called for, for funding to provide nonprofit grants to assist at-risk fathers and promote uh, parental involvement as well as uh, mentorship for um, uh, school-age males. Yeah, I was kind of um, wondering, too, sort of circling back to Aaron's initial question to, to Todd, it seems like with the, the school stuff in particular that that's really moving at a lightning pace uh, through the legislature. And I'm wondering uh, how many other like big bills that you or um, you, Aaron, or you, Todd, can recall moving at this kind of clip this early into a session? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I have seen them move bills this fast before, especially when they know they're sitting on something that um, that uh, surely obviously they have some support for, but also a lot of people don't like. Um, but not this early in the session. Yeah. Um, uh, that is pretty unusual um, to come right out of the gates and, and get one ripping the way it looks like they are in, in anyways. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, they, they've done this. They've moved this quickly on a bill before, but not in the first week, first two weeks of the session. Todd, do you? The only thing I can think of is just sometimes, you know, if there's a budget problem or they cut the budget and found out they didn't need to, they might run a supplemental appropriation bill quickly to open the session because you know you've only got you know months left in the fiscal year and you have to make some sort of change but yeah policy wise uh i mean it wasn't really i mean you know the collective bargaining bill in 2017 moved quickly but it wasn't filed i don't think until february right and so it wasn't in the opening week of the session uh yeah i mean that's nothing this significant i mean this is a it's a massive bill i mean it's it's a huge change and people have a lot of questions about it. I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, as far as rushing and I think the Senate could pass it, but I, I still wonder about the house because now 
she's up the ante to the point where it's like, well, I mean, now it's not just 10,000 scholarships. It's, it's the, you know, tens of thousands of scholarships. And, and that's probably even going to have a bigger impact on rural schools than the bill that she floated last year. So I, I think maybe they'll rush it through the Senate and, and then it may have to simmer in the house for a while. Although I may be, I may be wrong. If they have the votes, they'll, they'll, they'll move it quickly because they know the opposition is pretty well organized and, and, you know, they, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to have, you know, crowds at the Capitol for months on end. They, they just like to move stuff out, which is unfortunate because those crowds are, you know, Iowans, voters, taxpayers, <laughs> they ought to listen to them, but that's, <laughs> that's, in a, that's in a perfect world. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, a, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Sorry. It, the, the other thing I was going to add to that um, is, you know, it, it may have to simmer uh, in the house, but uh, you also have to realize though um, that you have uh, what 24 new House Republican members. Um, so you have a new legislature. Um, you have um, a, a a new crop of um, freshman Republican lawmakers, many of whom, um, you know, ran on um, uh, supporting uh, this this uh, supporting school choice, supporting. Uh, vouchers. And we heard from House Speaker Pat Grassley this week saying that um, he sees um, an eagerness and more of an appetite this year from those freshman lawmakers to pass some sort of uh, school choice legislation. Yeah, the, the only thing I'm, you know, one thing about it is they, <clears throat> everybody ran, you know, the governor and everybody ran on the plan that she basically proposed last year. The fact that she's expanded it so vastly may make a make a difference i mean because nobody nobody that i knew of ran on giving every kid in iowa the opportunity to get a seventy six hundred dollar scholarship that wasn't on the table during the campaign so and i think i was surprised that it, she's growing it that big that fast i figured they'd you know the the proverbial get the camel's nose under the tent and do the as they say in the legislature for some reason um you know to get that that initial 10,000 scholarship investment done past that and then in future years just go ahead and expand it but she's she's asking for the whole pie right at the beginning so that's that would be the one variable that might make a difference yeah the fact that there aren't those income restrictions that's uh yeah yeah, yeah this would literally be available uh at full implementation to any student that goes to a private school and there's um um, I can't remember the, the, the number we had in the story. I, I want to say somewhere in the 30,000s. Um, uh, so yeah, obviously much uh, bigger than the 5,000 uh, ish that the, <laughs> was in the original proposal. Um, yeah, and she, and it, well, I was just going to say that she also really didn't sweeten the pot for public schools all that much. I mean, she's talking about providing resources to the 5% of, at the bottom that are struggling and, and the $1,200 per pupil for the kids that leave but i mean none of that adds up to a counterweight to what what could be taken away yeah um so so sarah uh you reported this week you talked to your quad cities area legislators some of them anyways about the governor's private school uh financial assistance bill uh what did they have to say and more importantly to our discussion here did you have any house republicans who said they aren't maybe quite yet on board yeah, so um, I talked with most people on Wednesday, so it was just after the governor 
outline laid out her plan and uh, and there hadn't been um, maybe as much details as there as there might be today or next week. But um, but I was talking in particular to um, Representative Gary Moore, Republican of Bettendorf, who chairs the Appropriations Committee, and he is. He's in favor of um, school choice as an idea, but he was opposed to Governor Reynolds's proposal last year because it included uh, some of the per pupil state aid was going to go to some rural school that uh, no matter where the students switched from, if, if they were a student in Bettendorf, they switched to Assumption, um, part of that per pupil aid was going to go to a rural school to try to get rural lawmakers to support it. And so he didn't, he didn't really he didn't support that part of the proposal being, you know, from Bettendorf and um, he uh, and now with this current um, legislation, he said he's still reviewing it. So he can't say whether or not he's going to support it. But um, but he was he was concerned about two things, obviously, as the appropriations cherries. Um, he's looking at how much it's going to cost. And of course, the, the governor's office is uh, has put out some numbers, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in additional uh, um, appropriations by the state that is going to have to move through his committee if the if this is to go through and then he's also concerned and i thought this was interesting about the independence of uh private schools and whether in you know in future years if democrats retake control of the legislature if there's going to be some kind of uh legislation passed that okay private schools will be receiving this money will uh will there be some kind of well, will there be additional reporting requirements? Will there be um, other no prayer in schools, restrictions on religious instruction, um, a state individualized education plans that private schools will be required to do that that public schools are? And so he 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 thinks that private schools should maintain their independence and, and if they're and if receiving taxpayer dollars could maybe in the future compromise that independence for families uh, that want to send their children to this different educational environment. Um, you know, how is that going to be different, you know, in the future if if this happens. So, uh, so those were his chief concerns. Um, and he you know, would definitely be a key person to get on board as chair of the Appropriations Committee. Um, Another person, um, Representative Norland Mumpson, he was he was also concerned about uh, the proposal last session and um, was pleased to see the money for public schools um, in this new in this new proposal, the twelve twelve hundred dollars per pupil and the um, and the additional flexibility for public schools. So he was pleased to see that, and he said the governor's office actually reached out to him personally to talk about it. So um, and yeah. So, but I think the freshman legislators in the Quad Cities area are definitely more on board. Of, I should say freshman Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that kind of speaks to, um, and that's why none of us is 100% sure, because there's still some people out there, <clears throat> like Representative Moore, uh, that you described. Uh, we just don't know how many. And if it's, if it's, um, if it's what, 14, um, then, it's, then it's too many. Um, and and it does make sense that uh, the ones that are uh, freshmen, Sarah, would maybe have a more um, like supportive attitude, considering they came in in an election where people were primaried for not uh, backing this uh, proposal. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, obviously, we'll keep an eye on that bill and uh, uh, won't have much of a choice to uh, get back Tuesday. And there's a public hearing um, on that one uh, uh, Tuesday evening, uh, which will obviously um, uh, be interesting. And uh, once again, uh, I expect high turnout for that one, just like there was for the first committee hearing this week. Uh, and we'll see how fast it moves. I, I agree with uh, Todd. It's going to fly through the Senate. They've passed previous versions before. There's no reason for them to um, tiptoe around this, even though it's a new proposal. Um, you expected from the start that Senate Republicans would be on board with this. It, it'll be interesting to see. Now, this public hearing is the first step for the House side. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting then the rest of that week to see how quickly they decide to move in the House. And, and I think that'll tell us um, uh, whether the votes are there. Uh, one other thing, Tom mentions what Pat Grassley had said. One other thing he said is eventually we're going to have a vote on this. And, and I thought that was interesting in that at face value, what he's saying is, <clears throat> pardon me, regard, <clears throat> pardon me, regardless of whether they have the votes or not, they'll have a vote on this, which would be super interesting uh, if if they don't, because that's exceptionally rare that a vote gets to the floor and on a bill that doesn't have enough to pass. Um, so I don't know if that's the case or if he's saying that because he knows he already has the votes. I, I, I don't know, I, we'll, but we'll find out soon enough. Um, meantime, uh, speaking of Pat Grassley, House Republicans, uh, the day after Governor Reynolds' condition of the state address, unveiled their legislative priorities, um, including by publishing their first dozen or so bills um, that included the governor's private school assistance bill, uh, a property tax bill. Uh, but House Republicans also unveiled a couple of measures dealing with K-12 school policy, uh, specifically regarding LGBTQ students. The two bills prohibit the teaching of gender identity, sexual orientation, and other similar topics below fourth grade. Um, and they and they require educators to inform parents if a student identifies as a different gender. Um, critics in, of that one have uh, of the first one, pardon me, um, have you may be familiar with it if you've heard the term "don't say gay" bill in other states, uh, especially Florida being the most prominent. Um, Jared, you talked to some Northwest Iowa legislators this week who said they're supportive of the, these bills. What did they have to say? Um, so, yeah, I reached out to the uh, six uh, Siouxland area legislators who have their names on these two bills in the House. And I heard back from uh, three of them, um, Skylar Wheeler, who chairs the Education Committee, uh, Steve Holt, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, and uh, Bob Henderson, who's a, uh, a freshman legislator who actually was a teacher for quite a long time. And um, all three of them more or less stuck to framing these bills as a matter of like parental choice and parents regaining control of what their kids are taught. That's kind of how they talked about it. Um, Skylar Wheeler, who was behind the uh, 2022 bill banning uh, transgender athletes from playing in girls and women's sports, he specifically said, um, we send our kids to school to learn subjects such as math, science, reading, and writing. We don't send them there for teachers to parent our children, um, which is certainly more of a toned down version from what we heard last year from someone like um, Senator uh, Jake Chapman talking about uh, sinister agendas with, uh, with teachers. It's um, a little bit of a far cry from that. And um, 
uh, Representative Bob Henderson, um, who had a 2022 ad um, condemning former rep uh, Steve Hansen for voting against that uh, trans bill. Um, Henderson said that LGBTQ issues in schools are um, far removed from what um, education should be about. And so uh, one question I had for all of the legislators that I reached out to was whether or not there was a specific case in their district or in the state related to these uh, two bills that uh, troubled them and that made them want to keep it from happening again in their district. Um, None of them directly answered that question. And then um, none of them directly answered my other question, which was about the potential for undue burden on students uh, who aren't out um, being outed to unsupportive parents. Yeah, and and that's I'm gonna make a, a plug here. So so read Jared's story, um, y'all listening here, and then also um, find time this weekend to catch Iowa Press. Um, we had Speaker Grassley on, and um, I asked him a few questions of about this um, topic, and and asked some of those very same questions that Jared just mentioned. And thankful. Bless him. Thank you, especially given my rant last week. Thank you to Pat Grassley for coming on Iowa Press and taking questions from State House Media. Uh, but because he chose to do that, he didn't have the option of not answering that question <laughs> like the Sioux City area legislators did. Um, and I thought it was a very interesting exchange. Um, uh, so I encourage you all to uh, watch for that um, this weekend. Uh, it's already up on on the interwebs um, at iowapbs.org or on their YouTube channel. Uh, y- you can check it out. Because um, I think Jared asked the exact right um, question there. Uh, and Pat Grassley said the same thing. It's, it's, it's about teachers shouldn't be have this responsibility. This should be about the parents and, and they should be making these decisions. And, and this is just empowering parents uh, to which the follow-up question as Jared astutely asked is, okay, but what in those cases um, where the reaction at home may not go the way that that young student wants and, 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 and is possibly puts them in danger. I mean, that, and, and this isn't a hypothetical, we know this happens. Um, and, and we know that suicide rates are, are higher among LGBTQ kids. Um, uh, so I think that's a question that should be answered by policymakers who, who want to put something like this in place. So Kudos to Jared for asking, and um, um, backpat myself for asking the same thing, too, and encourage you to see that on Iowa Press. Um, so those are some of the big stuff. Uh, it wasn't everything, though. Let me just uh, free for all uh, before we leave here. Um, you know, what did we miss uh, uh, from that first week? Uh, any other highs or lows uh, um, other than reporters still being stuck in the Senate gallery? Uh, what else? Uh, was worth talking about from that first week. Can I ask a question about the don't say gay bill? Please do. Uh, or the, the similar one. Um, so if, if say a teacher is gay or transgender, that's like a K through three teacher. I mean, you know, are they, will they be get in trouble if they have like, you know, pictures on their desk or, you know, have talked yeah, about hey, spouse? Right. I mean, that's that's the concern that has risen in other states and, and the language and the, and the reason for that is the language in the legislation. There are some vague terms um, and I made a note in my notebook of what those are and, and now it's not in front of me. Um, but but the point of it is that there's a, there's a you know, there's a list of what 
teachers can't instruct. Um, but there's a couple of terms in there that are really vague. Like I think announcements is one of the words, you know, and so does announcement just mean talking about, as you mentioned, you know, if a teacher talks about their same sex spouse, is that an announcement of, of that topic, you know, and, and is that teacher now in trouble? And, and that, that's, that's what um, the critics of this legislation say is it's in, um, either accidentally or intentionally, I won't assign motive, I'll leave it up to uh, the people to decide, um, but that that language creates a, a vagueness and an uncertainty that 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 raises that exact question that you asked there. And, and I, I think that would that's an unknown and that's a reason that people have concerns about that kind of bill. Well, and the, the, don't, the don't say gay bill I mean, the point of it is to is to create a chilling effect. It's to create an atmosphere where teachers are afraid that they might run afoul of a rule and be and be punished or ostracized or the you know the subject of contempt from a certain segment of parents. I mean, uh, you know, it's going to be you're going to get a math you're going to have a math book and it's got a a story problem about a same-sex couple you're you know what are you gonna have to get a different math book i mean it's just it's it's gonna be like all these things it's it, the reason it's vague is so that is so that you know loud critics in individual school districts can basically take any shred of evidence and run with it and so i mean you know it, you're gonna it's just one more thing that is gonna dissuade people from wanting to be a teacher for one thing because who wants to deal with all of that uh, and as far as the, the bill, you know, that's that's going to require the schools to to tell parents if they find out that a, a kid is is transitioned. Uh, I mean, are are these legislators and, and prepared to own that when kids are abused or worse? I mean, that's I mean, that's what they're opening them up to. You're also cutting off support to marginalized kids. You know, Linmar's got this pro got this support program that everybody's mad about or not everybody just a select group of people are mad about that basically offers support and and you know protects them from bullying and harassment that's all going to go away under this because kids aren't going to tell anybody at school even if they have a trusted teacher or an administrator or a guidance counselor that they want to confide in they're going to be afraid to do that and that's I, I don't I really don't see how the legislature wants to get that closely involved in those kind of situations. And it's all just for politics to show, you know, the right, the Christian right and others that, that they're, you know, doing this quote unquote parental choice. Well, what about all the parents like me that, that believe this is the wrong thing to do? So, I mean, it's, they've got the majority, they can, they can do what they like, but, but these bills are going to continue to add to an image of Iowa that is not welcoming, that is hateful that is discriminatory, where young people aren't going to want to live because they don't share those values. They're not hung up on all the old discomforts and things that, you know, people like me and middle-aged white guys are, are worried about. So that's, I guess that's my soapbox. But I, I just, I just really think these bills are unnecessary, that school districts can handle this, kids can handle it, families can handle it. I mean, it's just, the state doesn't need to get involved. Yeah. So I'll just jump in here. Going back to Sarah's question, um, I just pulled up um, the, the bill. And so it does say that um, a, a school district sh shouldn't provide any program, curriculum, material, test, survey, questionnaire, activity, announcement, 
promotion or instruction of any kind related to gender identity or sexual orientation to students in grades um, kindergarten through three. And um, the Iowa Capital Dispatch um, asked um, Skyler Wheeler um, about this and his response to the Iowa Capital Dispatch was that, um, quote, if a kid has same-sex parents, nothing prevents them in this bill from mentioning that in class. His argument is that uh, the bill just simply says to the teacher, hey, we're going to stick to what we've been teaching. I mean, and then like, and that circles back to, they can say that. <laughs> they can, they right. can they tell can us say what that. they intend, right. uh, but that doesn't mean that's what it will legally uh, stand up to. Stand and, up. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I, yeah. yeah. And regardless, if a teacher is is LGBTQ, just just that fact alone is going to make them a target under this. I mean, there's just going to be right. people waiting for something that they can yep. climb onto to to uh, you know to go after that teacher. You you know, uh, I I have um, perfect uh, tree of life uh, recall about this. Um, when I was in school, I uh, very distinctly remember one teacher who would complain incessantly about her husband uh, to the students, which certainly was uh, probably not like, you know, normal uh, teaching or instructing uh, either. So I, I kind of have to smirk when we're uh, thinking that we're just going to keep teachers from talking to kids about stuff that isn't related to the curriculum and nothing else. I, I don't think you can legislate all that away. And if you, and if, you know, if, if the goal of education is to get kids ready to, to live in the world, the real world, then, I mean, how is it educating them to, to basically say, here's this segment of the world that we're going to just kind of keep, keep it all a secret from you because we adults think it's, you know, not okay. And that, again, this is, you know, school districts are struggling with this. They're doing the best they can. And, and this is just, this is just going to make things more, more difficult, more harder to navigate both for the school districts and for the kids. And that's, like I say, I just I think these bills are need to, you know, hit the scrap heap. And at the very least, we know that if Disney decides to open a third park, they won't be looking <laughs> at Iowa. <laughs> no, I may never get to go to an NCAA basketball tournament game in Iowa either. So uh, the other thing I'm just going to tack on real quick here. Um, and as I said at the top, usually can, the rest of the week is quiet. And that usually includes condition of the judiciary and guard. Um, this year's condition of the judiciary address, and with due respect to previous editions, um, really um, uh, stood out to me. Uh, Chief Justice Susan Christensen talked about a couple of issues they're facing um, and, and really had some um, incredible examples of, um, you know, some cracks forming in the judicial system because of um, two, two shortages in particular, one in court reporters. Um, which has been talked about and the Gazette has actually reported about. Um, Chief Justice actually mentioned that story in her speech. Um, and another one that I hadn't heard before was a shortage of contract attorneys, which is um, which are uh, lawyers that the state contracts with to, to represent um, defendants who can't afford an attorney. Um, you know, the public defender's office only has so much of a reach. And, and so when there's those gaps, um, that's where these contract attorneys come in, and and uh, we're starting to see a shortage of those types, too. And she has some just remarkable examples of of uh, those types of attorneys trying to do as many cases as they can and be to as many places as they can, and 
in some cases, some of those folks turning down work because it's just gotten too much. Um, so anyways, it was really, it was really pretty remarkable. Um, um, that speech is out there on the interwebs and my story's up online. Um, if you're interested, check that out. So that was just another example of something uh, pretty interesting in, in what was a big week, uh, first week of the legislature. Um, I, I like the newsworthiness. I like interest in eyeballs and clicks, but I could use a quiet second week uh, to recover. Uh, if y'all don't mind, if you're listening. Not there, gonna happen, Aaron. Aaron. Well, <laughs> I know, right? All, all this, you know, the, the, the positive flip side of this is it shows that if legislators really put their shoulder into it, they could probably adjourn this thing at the end of January and send everybody home. <laughs> right. if they're, if, you know. Whenever something like this comes up and we talk about some of the other examples, it, it's always a reminder that the government doesn't always have to move slowly. They're you know, fully capable of being swift and nimble. And, the, and this public defender situation, it, it makes me think, you know, wouldn't it be nice if everybody in Iowa got a $7,500 annual stipend to pay for private legal assistance if they need it? I mean, I think, I think we're setting up a system where we could, we could really cash in. I can see the bill already. I can see the bill already. All right. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. We'll be back again to discuss week two of the legislature and whatever else is happening. If you enjoyed this week's show, tell your friends. Subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure, as I noted during the show, you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter. For every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that newsletter at our website, thegazette.com. And lastly, but not leastly, don't forget that the work everyone of everyone that you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. We can't buy any more papers or the podcast will be too long just for that line alone. <laughs> Tone DeBoss, who was recently featured in a Gazette story and video and is a new artist on the podcast here, will play us out this week. We love to get some uh, fresh blood in here. So if you if you know an Iowa band and musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
on the table. Close the last book up my sleeve is an A-stone. No more chains on my ankle. Had me tied down like a ship with an anchor. Now I'm tied up with a suit and a case full. About to beat the case, got cheese like queso. Time to let me out the friend zone. And let me in the end zone. Can we quarantine the hate though? Know what I'm worth and I'm Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.